Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry. In today's episode, we're going to be reacting to the Indianapolis 500 and the Coca-Cola 600. The reason I'm not doing the Monaco Grand Prix is because minus some tire, you know, strategies between Ferrari and Red Bull, and obviously with the rain and race control, it was basically your typical Monaco Grand Prix if you took those two out of the equation. But before we begin, I just want to mention that I am now one of the hosts of the GSMC Football Podcast, and I am the host of the GSMC Fitness Podcast, both found on the GSMC Podcast Network. So if you want to hear more from the Motorsport Minister, maybe from different subjects such as fitness or football, head over and listen to those two podcasts. The GSMC Football Podcast, when I host, is every Tuesday, and the GSMC Fitness Podcast is every Thursday. So if you want to hear more from me, just go ahead and listen to those two podcasts. But let's jump straight into it and talk about the Indianapolis 500. And as usual, I've stated multiple times, this is the biggest race in the world. No race in the world comes close to the Indianapolis 500. Not just from a prestigious standpoint, but just from a sheer size standpoint. I mean, when you could fit almost a half a million people inside your stadium, that there's no question that you are the biggest race in the world. And I feel like the name of the race for the Indy 500 is really the Scott Dixon curse. Ever since Scott Dixon won his first 500, and so far his only 500, in 2008, it seems like he's never been able to get the job done in any other 500. No matter how many laps he's led, no matter what he does, no matter how many podiums he gets, he can never get on the top step of the podium during the month of May again. I think to not just this year, but 2020, where he dominated the race, led the most laps, and he had to settle for a runner-up spot. You think of races like 2017, where he won the pole, and then he ended up flipping. Multiple times where Scott Dixon should have won the Indianapolis 500. But from one reason or another, he can never manage to seal the deal. And in the case of this year, dominated the race, looked like the car to beat. Pretty much no one was able to catch up to him, maybe besides his teammate Alex Pelot, but it seemed like no one had a shot at him. And then late into the race, he has a speeding penalty and knocks him back from leading the race to finishing in the 21st position. This race, like, in any car, we have something called the Andretti curse for the Indianapolis 500, where ever since Mario won his one and only 500, I believe it was in 1969, no Andretti before, after, or since has been able to recapture the Borg Warner Trophy. Michael couldn't do it. Marco can never do it. Mario couldn't do it after that one win. And it seems like Scott Dixon has fallen into that same, I guess, category in terms of curses. Like I stated, 2020 and 2017 are just some examples where he dominated the race and should have won it. But then again, this year into 2022, dominated the race, started from the pole, was the clear-cut favorite. And then he, something happens to him where he finishes 21st. That's the main reason, I'm going to be honest with you guys, why I put Scott Dixon as a dark horse and not necessarily as an Indianapolis 500 favorite. Now, of pure accomplishment and pure pace, obviously Scott Dixon is a favorite. He's led the most laps at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in history. He has five poles at the track, and he currently holds the record for the fastest pole lap set at Indianapolis. So Scott Dixon is probably, should never be considered a dark horse. 
But I knew that every time something happens to Scott Dixon, he never finds a way to win that second 500. So that's why I took that into account in the back of my head, which is why I implemented him as a dark horse. Because I knew with that quote-unquote Dixon curse, you can't necessarily put him as a favorite. When I put someone as a favorite, I put them as someone who I know that 9 times out of 10, they're probably going to win the race. You can't do that with Scott Dixon at the Indy 500. And again, most of the time, it's not really Scott Dixon's fault. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm bashing Scott Dixon. He's one of the greatest IndyCar drivers of all time. And he's honestly one of the greatest Indianapolis 500 drivers of all time. But you're never going to know that because he only has one Indianapolis 500 win because so much stuff has happened to him since to where he couldn't even capture a second 500. If Dixon were to capture a second Indianapolis 500, you could put him with the rest of the accomplishments he's had minus that second win as one of the greatest Indy 500 drivers of all time. You could potentially put him in the same conversation as Elio Castroneves. Because Dixon, five poles, fastest qualifying lap in 500 history. Most laps led in Indianapolis 500 history. The only thing he's missing is a second 500 win. But he never seems to be able to get it. Always gets snake bit for one reason here or another. And again, because of that curse, that's the reason I put him as a dark horse. Not necessarily a favorite because of that curse. Is it really a legit reason to put someone as a dark horse? I, I thought it was. I mean, that's why I did it for crying out loud. But overall, it was a great race. It's kind of been the Indianapolis 500 we've seen with this new Delara car. Well, I say new. They've been racing this kind of chassis since, well, this type of body since 2018. Where, you know, for the first about 50% of the race, it's kind of tame. Everyone's taking care of themselves. Maybe the leaders will swap around to save fuel. And then towards the end, it's all a calamity. Happened last year. Same thing happened this year. I thought last year's Indianapolis 500 was a lot better than this year's. But this year was also no slouch. You had a lot of passing, a lot of great moments. Side-by-side -side battles. Again, coming to the white flag, you didn't know who was going to win the race. Last year, it was between Polo, Castroneves, and Award. This year, it was between Award and Marcus Erickson, which, by the way, I predicted it. Marcus Erickson to win the Indianapolis 500, and I got it right. In fact, I actually did pretty good for the, um, for the whole week, for the whole day as a whole. I picked Max Verstappen to win the race. He finished to win Monaco. He finished third. But I did pick Sergio Perez for my out-of-the-box pick for that edition of Best Bets of the Week. So, probably shouldn't do it, but I'm giving myself half a point for that one. And obviously, I picked Marcus Erickson to win the Indianapolis 500. I got that right. And I picked Kyle Busch to win the Coca-Cola 600, but he finished second. But we'll get more to that once we talk about the 600. But kind of to wrap up my little Indianapolis 500 talk, it was a great race. Lots of action, side-by-side. Great racing all around. He didn't know who was going to win. Coming to the white flag. Coming to the checkered flag. At the end of the day, Marcus Erickson, he held on. I will, before I end it off, I will talk about the red flag. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to say, Oh, it's the greatest spectacle in racing. It's the biggest race in the world. It should always end under green flag conditions. No questions asked. I guarantee you 9 out of those 10 people who say that are the same people that complain about NASCAR's constant gimmicks over and over and over again. I get it. It's the biggest race in the world. I get it. You want to give the fans something to look forward to, something to watch. But guess what? If it ends under caution, that's racing. Sometimes you're going to end under caution. Sometimes you're not going to end under caution. Sometimes it's necessary to have a red flag. Sometimes it's not necessary to have a red flag. And that wreck with Jimmy Johnson, it wasn't necessary to have a red flag. 
You didn't need to have a red flag. The red flag should only come out when it's absolute necessity. Because I'm going to go on a little bit of a purist tangent. So bear with me. The caution flag is meant for when the caution flag needs to come out. That means that there is an incident on the track to where you have to slow the cars down. Jimmy Johnson's crash. That's an incident when the caution needs to come out. The red flag should come out. It's meant to come out when literally... You cannot have cars running on the track at all. You need to have all the cars standing still so that the safety crew, the cleanup crew, could do what they have to do before you throw the caution and you throw the green flag. That is what each of those flags are meant for. The caution flag was never designed and is not meant for entertainment. The red flag is not designed and is not meant for entertainment. If you want to have something for entertainment, make a different flag then. Make an entertainment flag. And then you can at least explicitly tell your fans, yeah, we're putting the race under caution. We're putting, we're slowing the race down for entertainment. We're stopping the race for entertainment. Because again, I'm more of a purist racing fan. I don't really like necessarily all the bogus and all the gimmicks. Like, I'm not a fan of the Indy 500 being double points. I'm one of the few people who actually believe that the Indianapolis 500 is prestigious enough to where it shouldn't even be awarding points. Everyone wants to Indy, win the Indy 500 you got drivers from all around the country, all around the world, all around different disciplines to where they want to win the race. I mean, Alonzo skipped the Monaco Grand Prix. He skipped potential points to go race in the Indy 500 when he wasn't even competing for the IndyCar Championship. That alone should tell you the race doesn't need to be worth any points. So it shouldn't even be worth double points in that asset. And plus, it, can, it has a chance to give a championship contention to a guy who ne didn't necessarily at the time was in contention or deserved to be in contention at that point. But going back to the red flag, you didn't need to red flag the race. There was no, what is annoying is that it was clearly an effort by IndyCar to manufacture a green flag finish, to manufacture an entertainment finish. And how many of us complain about NASCAR doing that 24-7? Or even IndyCar at some point doing that a lot. Keep it on the NASCAR thing, because NASCAR is the king of doing this. Stages, competition cautions, these phantom debris yellows. The 550 horsepower package. The playoffs. These are all gimmicks. Gimmicks a lot of people complain about even to this day. That NASCAR continues to get bashed and bashed and bashed on. But when it happens to IndyCar, to the Indy 500, people are perfectly fine with it. Guess what? If the race ends under yellow, so what? It, races on, it ends under yellow. Not every race is going to be a... Not every race is going to end under green. It really doesn't matter what kind of race it is. If it ends under yellow, okay, fine, it ends under yellow. So you're going to have some days like 2021 where the race is side-by-side. Side. You only have two cautions throughout the entire race, and then the leads are still able to win, the, are still able to fight side-by-side side for the win. Then, or you're going to have some races where the race ends under yellow, like in 2020 when Takuma Sato won the race under yellow. That's fine. It is what it is, folks. We want to make racing more simple. We want to make it less complex. Doing stuff like this makes it more less, less simple, less complex. If IndyCar is so adamant, if we're so adamant on keeping the Indianapolis 500 to end under green flag conditions, let's just do what ARCA does. Or let's just, yeah, let's just do what ARCA does, where the race is forced to end under green flag conditions. And I know people might say, oh, I know there's that argument also. Like, oh, if the race is 500, it doesn't matter if the race is 500 miles, this or that, this or that. Folks, most of the time when NASCAR is in overtime, 
and then the TV partner has to cut directly. They don't interview people, nothing like that. Nine times out of ten, guess what? The reason that's happened. Because NASCAR overextends their window because they have overtime. You want that to happen with the Indianapolis 500? Imagine if that happened during the Indianapolis 500, where they had overtime nonstop, unlimited overtime, and then they had to cut the race away because they overextended their TV window. How many people, how much uproar do you think that's going to be? So no, I'm not a fan of the red flag. For people who say that the race should always end under green flag no matter what, no. This is racing. It ends under green, that's great. If it ends under yellow, it is what it is. So what if there were, so what if it wasn't a side? Marcus Erickson was clear cut away going to win the race regardless. He was three or four seconds ahead. He won the race regardless. Do you really think it's going to make that much of a difference? The, the results weren't different regardless. So at the end of the day, it was a pointless yellow. So I don't want to end this. So it kind of annoys me to kind of end it on a little bit of a rant. But it really gets, it really annoys me when people try to, you know, make an excuse for manufacturing entertainment. Especially when some of those same people will criticize other racing series or other disciplines for doing the exact same thing. If you're going to do it, be consistent. If you're consistent with wanting IndyCar, the Indy 500, to finish under yellow for a good finish, you can never complain about any of the gimmicks NASCAR does, at least in my opinion. But congrats to Marcus Erickson. I got the pick right. It was a fantastic race. And it wasn't the best race of the, of the day, though. The best race of the day is coming up in our next segment where we talk about the Coca-Cola 600. So I don't remember the last time I've been able to say that the Coke 600 was the best race of the weekend, but that was not just probably the best race of the weekend. That was probably the best race of the year from the Cup Series side of things. I'd have to go through literally every race so far this year to actually determine that, but I wouldn't be surprised if this race were to end up on the top five of a said list, but... To call this race chaotic would be an understatement. We had, what was it, 18 cautions, two overtimes, and really at no point this race, you th you knew who was going to come out and end up in victory lane, which at the end of the day ended up being Mr. Dennis the Menace Hamlin taking the checkered flag at the end of it. But this race was, let's just, let's just break it down a couple parts. We'll break it down into the chaos, and then we'll break it down into the actual racing side of things. For starters, let's start with the chaos. This next-gen car, if it hasn't been proven already to be a handful for these drivers, this race was just the icing on top of the cake. Because, actually scratch that, this race was the cake itself. Because you had so many drivers spinning out left and right, front and center. Kyle Busch spun out, Kyle Larson spun out, Chris Busher spun out. So many, even Chase Elliott spun out at one point. So many drivers, Daniel Suarez, Chris Buescher, and I named a lot of front runners too for this race. Most of the front runners were spinning out, not just the drivers up in the back. Like, this next-gen car has brought what we NASCAR fans have been wanting for the longest time, and that's where these drivers have to work to actually have to drive these cars, unlike what they had to do with the 550 package when we had it with the Gen 6 car. That just shows that, even with 670 horsepower, which probably isn't that much, especially compared to just a couple years ago, these cars are still a handful to drive. And we saw with the big wrecks, like with the big one that Ryan Blaney started, 
We saw it in the big crash that Daniel Suarez started, which ended in Chris Buescher flipping upside down, rolling over multiple times. This car is a handful for these drivers. And as a fan who likes to see the drivers test to the limit, I love to see that. So let's also talk about it from the racing side of things. This race, this now this is the icing on top of the cake in terms of the mile and a half. The mile and a half, at least currently for the next-gen cars, is perfect. They are fixed. A problem that was of the past is now going to stay in the past. Every mile and a half track so far this year, minus Texas, but then again, Texas is just, it's just a lost cause at this point. This, this track is just, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words because the racing was just that good. I mean, side-by-side racing, beating and banging. You didn't passes for the lead. There was, I believe, I saw a stat where it was 64 lead green flag passes for the lead. That's remarkable. Or maybe not green flag passes, but 64 passes for the lead in general. And, I mean, you weren't going to get this with the Gen 6. You definitely weren't going to get it when we had the 550 package. This next-gen car could be one of the greatest cars a NASCAR has ever conceived since the, gen, since the Gen 4 era. It's already surpassed the Gen 6 in its short history, and it could potentially pass the COT, because COT is actually pretty good towards the latter stages of its lifetime. But again, fantastic racing. Another last-lap pass for the lead between Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch. You didn't know who was going to win the race. And in my opinion, those are always the best races that have happened, where it's just pure organic racing where you don't know who's going to win. It's the drivers showing their skills and showing their talents. This Coke 600 was the best Coca-Cola 600 I've seen in years. It's the first time I could say NASCAR was the winner of the best day in racing in years. Not necessarily like there's winners and losers, but it capped off really what was a fantastic day, which is known as the greatest day in racing. Alright, now we're going to head off into our race weekend ranking sponsored by Johnny B's Barbershop. If you're in the South Florida area in need of a haircut, head over to Johnny B's Barbershop. Rob, Will, Johnny, and the rest of the crew will not only give you an amazing haircut, the best you'll ever receive, but a friendly atmosphere you do not receive at any other, at any other haircut chains. So head over to Johnny B's Barbershop on Sterling Road to Davy Road Extension across the street from the Wawa. And tell them that I sent you. So we're going to do it kind of similar to what I did with the best bets of the week last week. Where I'm not going to count Xfinity or Trucks at Charlotte. I want to keep this solely to the three crown jewel races that happened this weekend. Between Formula 1, IndyCar, and NASCAR. So that being said, let's just jump straight into it. And number three on my list is going to be the Monaco Grand Prix. Best moment for me of the race was the finish where the top four were basically within one second of one another for like the final three laps of the race. Even though it's Monaco where you knew unless one of them made a just a terrible mistake, you knew that the no one was really going to make that much of a move. But again, just having that adrenaline, that anticipation, that's what really made that finish. Worst moment for me was how race control handled the start slash delay of the race. Delaying the race for an hour, not really giving a proper explanation, especially when they had rain tires for this specific moment. It was just poor communication for race control, in my opinion. And my WTF moment of the race was the Ferrari strategy. Leclerc was comfortably up front. 
He wasn't going to be challenged, and Ferrari just made a boneheaded decision that caused Leclerc from leading the race then and up finishing fourth. This is the first time Leclerc has finished the Monaco Grand Prix, so you can hang your hat on that, but still, just perplexing. You're like, what the hell? And again, that's been Ferrari's strategy for the better half of the past four years. This was a fairly solid race for Monaco's standard, so I'm going to give it about a 7 out of 10. I'll be nice and give the race a 7 out of 10. A solid Monaco Grand Prix. Number two on the list, I'm going to give it to the Indianapolis 500. Best moment for me was Marcus Erickson versus Paddle Award during that green-white checkered. You didn't know which one of the two drivers was going to win the race coming to the checkered flag. And really until the caution came out that sealed the deal for Marcus Erickson. I mean, it was thrilling. It was great racing, hard racing between the two. So that's my best moment of the race. Worst moment of the race for me, if you guys could guess, was the unnecessary red flag. Say what you want about how the greatest spectacle racing should finish on the green, but in my opinion, it shouldn't. It doesn't need to. It, there's no nothing in the rule book that says this race must end under green flag conditions. I don't like it when race control and the officials try to manufacture drama, and in this case, this was an instance where they manufactured drama. My WTF moment of the race is Scott Dixon speeding. Dominated the race, clear cut the favorite, looked like he had no issues whatsoever. And then just spent on pit road. Cost himself, probably would have been the, an easy second Indy 500 win. And the Dixon curse continues, and if not, was confirmed with this race. Again, very good, great Indianapolis 500. This is one I would give an 8 out of 10. Not as good as last year's, which I believe I would have given last year's a 9 out of 10. But again, a very good Indy 500 to say the least. So that means number one on my list is going to be the Coca-Cola 600. Best moment for me was Denny Hamlin versus Kyle Busch on that final overtime where the two of them swapped the lead during that last lap. And again, you didn't know who was going to win the race. And again, fantastic racing, fantastic performance from the next-gen car. I loved every second of that last lap. Worst moment for me was the Ryan Blaney pileup. It was just a mistake on Ryan Blaney. He went too deep. He clipped the apron, dripped up the track, and he caused a major pileup. It's a mistake on Ryan Blaney, but again, you never want to see a bunch of, a bunch of good cars or just a bunch of cars in general get torn up like that. And my WTF moment of the race was that Chris Buescher flip because when Buescher was sliding in the grass, you're like, okay, he's going to slide. He might have a little damage. He might be able to carry on, probably finish outside the top 30. And then out of nowhere, the car just flips. I think I heard that he might have hit a drain. That's what caused him to flip. But just watching, you're like, you weren't expecting to flip. And out of nowhere, he just flips. It turned from a harmless spin to just... Boom, 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 tumble, tumble, tumble. And that was definitely, that's probably the WTF moment of the week, in my opinion. So to recap, number one is the Coke 600, number two is the Indianapolis 500, and number three is the Monaco Grand Prix. And the Coke 600, fantastic race. That's a race I would give a 9 out of 10. And those are your race weekend rankings. All right, let's end off the episode with our verse of the week. So, we once again open up the motorsports manual and here it is from the book from the book of racing chapter 8 verse 11 and our quote of the and our verse of the week is gonna be a little cheesy energized champagne in the morning chocolate milk in the afternoon and delivered coca-cola at night if you guys don't know what that means energized champagne because red bull car won the race it's monaco it's formula one they always celebrate with champagne and victory lane Chocolate milk, because Marcus Erickson's car is sponsored by a chocolate, Husky Chocolate, and obviously they drink milk at the end of the Indianapolis 500, 
and delivered Coca-Cola because Denny Hamlin is sponsored by FedEx and obviously the race at the Coca-Cola 600. So again, verse of the week, energized champagne in the morning, chocolate milk in the afternoon, and delivered Coca-Cola at night. And with that, that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys enjoyed tuning in. Thank you guys so much. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can search us up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You can find all previous episodes. And again, if you want to hear me talk about other topics such as football and fitness, make sure you tune in on Tuesday to the GSMC Football, GSMC Football Podcast on the GSMC Podcast Network, along with the GSMC Fitness Podcast on Thursdays. But once again, thank you guys so much for tuning into the Motorsport Ministry, and we'll see you next time.